Welcome and welcome back to the God Revelation podcast where we teach and believe Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 which says blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things which are written in it for the time is near thus according to God's holy righteous word that you are blessed by reading and hearing the words that are in this book, the book of Revelation. And that revelation is the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus to this earth for a second time. And that's what this book is about. And we're in the good parts of the book. The first ch chapters leading up into these chapters, we're looking at those things that must come to pass before Jesus returns. Now we're at the end of the great tribulation that seven-year tribulation jesus has returned and now we're seeing what eternity what our god what our savior and our king our lord will be like hallelujah what a great and marvelous time is going to be and so that's what we're going to look at in chapter 21 in this episode we're looking up and picking up chapter 21 where we see the new heaven and the new earth that awaits believers along with their god jesus in eternity. So that's going to be the focus of this episode, episode number 20 or chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. We only have one chapter left. That's chapter 22. I pray that you've been blessed by your study and reading of the book of Revelation with us. I know you have because according to God's word, we just read that you are blessed by reading those. And if you have been blessed, tell someone else too often even professing Christians ignore the book of Revelation. And it's a book that we should not be ignoring because God, in his word, he, every book of the Bible is there for a reason. This is important. We should read it. We should read it all. For some reason, we stop at the book of Revelation. It is the last because it's the last act before eternity comes. And he's telling us those things that is going to happen before he comes. He didn't have to tell us anything. All of these things that we've talked about could have just unfolded. We could have been unaware. But in his mercy and his grace and love, he wanted the world to know these things are going to come to pass before I return. And then after I return, this is how things will be. Everything that man is trying to accomplish in his own will and purposes and in intellect that will never come to pass. Perfect peace prosperity. No more war. No more crime. None of those things that we're worried about today will be taking place in eternity without God. And so that's what we're looking at. So if you're being blessed by this, tell someone. Tell them to read the book of Revelation if they have a hard time understanding the book of Revelation. We're firm to podcasts like this and other resources where you can get an understanding of the book of Revelation. God did not say blessed is the one who reads and hears the words and then did not tell us what those prophecies mean. On the surface, if you look at it and read it, yes, it may seem difficult. But as you study God's word and you earnestly pray to him, he's already revealed what those things are. We just have to put forth an effort to read it instead of just saying, well, ah, that's the book. It's, I don't understand. It's too much symbolism. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to ignore it. That's the wrong approach. Again, God and his word, he didn't say you have to be blessed, but he said blessed. Starting off third verse in the book, say you're blessed if you read it. So I thank God that you're reading it and studying it along with us. But tell others to read it as well and share this podcast with them so they can get insight on the meaning of what's happening in the revelation. Because again, the ultimate goal of that book 
is the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you're a Christian, you should want to know about that. You shouldn't want to avoid that. You should want to know about what life is going to be like in that time. And he's telling us we're going to be in the new heaven and the new earth, which we're going to study today. So tell someone about the podcast. Tell someone to read the book of Revelation. Uh, if you have not already done so, please open up your, your Bible or your Bible app to chapter 21 so we can talk about this. But again, I pray that you've been blessed. We have one more chapter to go. It's chapter 22, which will be in our next episode. But before we go into this chapter, let's do a little re brief recap. Again, we started off, um, this is a holistic recap, and then we're going to go specifically about recapping chapter 20. Uh, the focus of the book of Revelation is that the church is going to be raptured, and I'm not talking about a church building, believers in Jesus Christ. One day God is going to call them and all those dead saints in the Old Testament to be raptured up out of their graves and off this earth into heaven. And then the seven-year tribulation is going to begin where this earth is going to see judgments like it's never seen before. But even during that time, the Word of God tells us that God's Word is still going to be preached. There's going to be people that's going to be coming to Jesus during that time. They're going to hear the Word. They're going to respond to the Word. But during that time, unlike now, particularly in America, those people during the seven-year tribulation who confess Jesus Christ and their Lord and Savior are going to be persecuted like never before. They're actually going to be killed. The Bible even references that they're going to be beheaded because they have belief and confession of Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells them, if you shall hold on, you would have great reward with him, and they shall. They shall. Then at the end of that seven-year tribulation, Jesus is going to return during the battle of Armageddon. And this is where we looked at and talked about in chapter 20. So to summarize chapter 20, before we go into chapter 21, we see after Jesus destroys the Antichrist and Satan's army at the war, oftentimes referred to the battle, but really it's going to be ongoing war, like in what we currently have, at least at the time of this recording in Ukraine. It's just not a battle of Ukraine. It's a war being waged. And at that time, there's going to be a war waged against Israel by the armies of the Antichrist and Satan, and at the end of that seven year, Jesus is going to return with all the saints. That's the New Testament saints, the Old Testament saints, and those who were killed during the Great Tribulation who confessed Jesus Christ are going to return. And he's going to destroy the armies of Satan with his word. He's not coming back with, a, with many missiles, machine guns. It's just going to be his word, and they're going to be done waited with. At the end of that uh, seven-year tribulation, Satan is cast into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. During that first thousand years, which is called the millennial reign of Jesus' eternal reign over his kingdom on this earth, there will be peace. There will be prosperity. There will be righteousness. Also during this time, unbelievers, as of those who believed, who lived, whoever, however, did not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to be judged for their sins. And they're going to have to suffer the consequences and the punishment of that. For those of us who are believers, we were sinners as well. We are sinners as well, but our, we accept the fact that Jesus took our punishment for us. But for those who do not accept Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, they have to accept the punishment for themselves. That's the good thing about our God. Sin has to be judged, and it's going to be judged, and it's always been judged. The question is, who's going to suffer the consequence as a result of your sins, of my sins? For those who believe in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, he took our punishment he was sinless that's what made him the perfect sacrifice he was god in the flesh sinless but yet he went on that cross and died for our sins and so for those of us who accept jesus christ and lord say he take our punishment for us he took 
our punishment for us. But for those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior when it's time for judgment and punishment, they have to accept it on their behalf. And so that's what happened at the end of that 100-year reign. Well, during that 100-year reign, we see the great white throne judgment for those who did not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Then we also saw in chapter 20, at the end of that thousand-year reign, Satan is released from the bottomless pit to deceive the nations for one last time because there are going to be people who are born during that time who, because Satan is not tempting them and because Jesus is on the throne, they're going to be tested to whether they really believe in confessing Jesus Christ because once Satan is released, he's going to do what he always do, deceive those who can be deceived, those people who are born during that one-year that first thousand year reign of Jesus, then after that, Satan will be cast in the lake of fire along with the Antichrist and the false prophet who was cast in the lake of fire a thousand years prior because at the end of seven years, Jesus is going to cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire while Satan goes into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then at the end of a thousand years, Satan will be released. He will be defeated for one last time, and those who will follow him will go into, don't, will go into the lake of fire to be punished for eternity. So that's a recap of chapter 21, excuse me, chapter 20. And in this episode, we're going to look at chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth with our Lord and Savior Jesus living among his people. Ah, what a wonderful time that will be. Before we get into that, let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for being an awesome, wonderful, great God. We love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for this time and your word that we're being blessed by the study of the book of Revelation. Lord, you're wonderful, and we just thank you for your only begotten son, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for our sins, taking our place, taking our punishment when we were so undeserving. But before your love for the Father, to be obedient to him and for your love for us, you did it. And so we thank you for dying for our sins. Father God, we thank you for raising him from the dead because he was perfect. He is perfect. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your will. And Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask that you open up our ears, our hearts, and our minds to better receive and understand your word. In your son's mighty name, we pray and give honor. Amen and amen. All right. The final two chapters of the book of Revelation present the glorious future that awaits believers. And when I say believers, those who have confessed and believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he died for our sins, that we were sinners, and he died for, that, for those sins. He, are, he is our Lord and our Savior. So these final two chapters present what we're going to see and take part in in eternity. Eternity means forever. Time will be irrelevant in that point. There won't be any more calendars and none of that stuff because it won't make a difference. It will be irrelevant. Eternity lasts forever. So our, the consequences of denying or accepting Jesus is, is important because there's no in-between. Either you're going to live with Jesus forever or reject him and be punished forever. There's no in-between. The choice is either accept Jesus or not. The choice is either live in peace and prosperity and joy along with Jesus forever or be tormented in the lake of fire forever. That's, the, that's just the two op options. And I encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and live forever with him. And so we get in these last two chapters, chapter 21 and 22, what it's going to be like during that time. So let's get into it. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21, verse number one. Then I saw a new heaven. This is John, the author of this book, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, who saw these things and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write them. So he, when he says, when I saw, that's John, the writer of this book. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the heaven 
and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The passing away of the first heaven and earth occurs at the conclusion of the white, the great white throne judgment that we talked about in chapter 20, which I encourage you to read and your Bible, and re-listen to the podcast. This was part of the renovation Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24, 35. Again, I said this before, Revelation is not the only book of the Bible or verses, or book of the Bible that talks about the time that we're talking about, eternity with, with, with Jesus, the new heaven and the new earth. There are book, other books that why they talk about other things like the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Jeremiah, even Jesus talks about some of the stuff that we're talking about now. This is the most comprehensive book about what's going to happen in the future, but by no means the only book that talks about what the book of Revelation talks about. It's sprinkled throughout, but this is the main book that talks about it. So going back to what I was originally saying, Jesus in Matthew 24 and 35 and 2 Peter Chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, describe what happens to the old earth, which is what we're on now, and the old heaven. And let's look at it, uh, starting with verse uh, 10 out of Second Peter, talking about what happened to the, the, the old earth. By the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and, and speeds its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. And then finally, verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness and dwelling. So, God is at the end of the great tribulation. He is going to remake this earth and the heavens because it's stained by sin, it's stained by transgression of man. So he's going to give us a new heaven, a new earth, a utopia where we shall all live in perfect peace and harmony with him. And so John is witnessing that new heaven and that new earth. Also, John pictures that there won't be a sea. Now, God has a reason for everything he does. We're not explaining why there no longer will be a sea on earth, but for whatever reason, John does not see a sea in this new heaven and is on this new earth anyway. All right, moving on to verse number two of chapter 21 out of the book of Revelation. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John held, beheld or saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, descending from heaven from God. It is the eternal home of the bride. That is all God's saints who will live eternally there. So in other words, there's going to be on this earth or at least hovering over the earth, depending on which Bible scholar you, um, some Bible scholar believe that this city that we're talking about, the New Jerusalem, actually will come down from heaven but actually would never touch the earth. It would, it would hover over the earth. And this New Jerusalem is where all the saints will live all of us, and we're going to see how big this city is going to be, so big, they'll come to house all of us. But John is seeing that, and he says that what? That coming out of heaven was prepared for the bride. Who is the bride? The believers of Jesus Christ. As we will see, the New Jerusalem is a beautiful place. It's going to be beautiful. John saw it as a, as a bride adorned for her husband, Revelation 21-2, a bride prepares meticulously 
to look her best for her wedding day. We all know when you, if you've ever been married or been to married, they don't just up, jump out of the bed and go to be married, the husband and the groom. I mean, excuse me, the groom and the bride. They plan it. They're looking their best for one another. And so just as a bride would look best for her husband or her groom, so this implies that God's plan to present New Jerusalem as his exceptionally beautiful and carefully arranged city for his bride. Revelation number, moving on to Revelation verse number three out of the book of 20, the 21st book. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, God will be present always with his people. Jesus is going to live among the saints. No longer will we have to wonder what he looks like. No, wonder, no longer will we have to wonder what it, where he is. We would know where he is at all times. He would be in New Jerusalem physically with believers. Verse 3 out of the book of 21, or chapter 21 tells us that. We also see in this verse that God's people enjoy close relationship and fellowship with God. When I say God, God in the form of Jesus. Because remember, God is one God manifested in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so God the Son, Jesus, will live in close proximity and fellowship. And through Jesus, also God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, the fellowship will resemble the experience Adam and Eve enjoyed with God in the Garden of Eden before the fall. When you go back and look in the book of Genesis, before the fall, Adam and Eve, they communed and they had a close relationship with God. They saw him as who he was until the fall. And then they had to be cast out of the Garden of Eden and out of the presence of God. But we're gonna he's, God is going to restore that fellowship where he will commune with us. He will fellowship with us. He will live with us. What a glorious time that will be. The redeemed with glorified bodies will live in New Jerusalem. Most likely those who were born and saved through the, during the millennial, the first thousand year reign of Jesus on this earth, will, will enter eternity in their natural bodies and live on the new earth under the new Jerusalem. So in other words, for those who accepted Jesus Christ, the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and those people who accepted Jesus Christ during the time of the tribulation will have glorified bodies, but there will be times there are going to be people who were born through the millennium, it appears because, the, and I say where it appears because nothing in the word of God says that they're going to get a new body. They may, but we don't see that here. So it appears that those people that was born during the millennium will enter into eternity with their natural bodies. They don't get a new bodies, but those natural bodies will live forever due to the fruit of um, life that we're going to see. So, um, but nonetheless, God will live with the New Testament saints in New Jerusalem, and this New Jerusalem will hover over the earth where the people who were born during the millennium will live actually on the land of the new earth. Verse number four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And we talked about this in verse number 20. Once Satan is defeated, death is no more. There won't be any more pain. There won't be any more suffering. There won't be any more mourning on this new heaven and this new earth and this new Jerusalem. All those things will now be passed away. What a glorious time. 
and you can take part in that by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because the contrast is that is darkness, torment, and pain forever. That's what's going to happen if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in eternity. Don't be on the wrong side. Be on the right side. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He died for you. He loves you. He did all this. He's preparing all this for the believers. That can be you, sir or madam, if you have not already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Absent from New Jerusalem are tears, death, and mourning, and crying, and pain. Pain, sorrow, mourning, and the passing of friends and loved ones will be no more. Dying and funerals, all that stuff will be no more. People will never die again. What a glorious time. Revelation number 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God speaks from his throne that we see in verse number five, that he has made a new heaven and earth and a new freedom from sin. We want to worry about sin anymore. This tempter, the deceiver, Satan has now been cast into the lake of fire to be punished and tormented forever and peace and prosperity and sin and all that and no more sin. Oh, oh, what a wonderful time it would be. What a wonderful time it would be. John also Heard a voice from the throne affirm that God's declaration of his making all things new is completely dependable because he said his word is trustworthy and true. So when he say, when you see these things and write these things, let the people know they can be trusted. They will be true because if he said it, they shall come to pass because according to Titus 1, 2, God cannot lie. He never lies. He have no reason to lie. He is God. So if he said it, it shall come to pass. Verse number six. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Verse number six tells us that the speaker from the throne, which is God, identify, identify himself as the alpha and the omega, which is in the Greek, the beginning and the end. When the glorified son of God first appeared to John on the island of Patmos, John had just introduced God's status as I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty in Revelation 1.8, we saw that. Because he is the beginning of things and he's the, all, and the end of things. So the voice from the throne belongs to Jesus, the risen Almighty Lord, who is eternal. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He declared in Revelation 6, it is done. 21, 6, it is done. Referring to his spoken words about creating all things new. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, affirms that what he began has to come to pass. He always finished what he begins. He always accomplished what he is set to accomplish. He is the beginning and the, and the end. And he tells us those who thirst for spiritual satisfaction... Find that Jesus gives it without charge. It's free. The gifts of salvation is free. His mercy and his grace is free. He's offering all this stuff for free. All you have to do is believe. That's all he asks. Is can, you cannot save yourself by works. You cannot save yourself by doing good. You can only be saved by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's paid it all. He's done it all. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He said he offered it without payment. 
His grace saves and satisfies thirsty souls. Is your soul thirsty? Jesus has what it needs. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. Believe that he died for you because he did. Whatever you're seeking, you can find it in him. Something is missing. It's him. During his earthly ministry, Jesus told a spiritually thirsty woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, water welling up to eternal life. We saw in John chapter 4, verse 14, and that is the Holy Spirit. That's him. Also, the fourth beatitude promises that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied in Matthew 5, 6. That promise is fulfilled entirely and completely in eternity that we learn in this verse, that he gives us everything that we thirst for. It's all found in him. Won't you accept him? Verse number 7. Those who are victorious would inherit all this, and I will be their God. And they will be my children. Hallelujah. The apostle John identified believers as Jesus. Believers in Jesus as overcomers. That we are his children. The big misconception now that everybody that's on this earth is a child of God. That is not true. God and his word say his only children are those who accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Those are his children. Heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. And we see in this verse, verse number seven out of book out of the 21st chapter, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Moving on to verse number eight. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The new Jerusalem and the new earth are eternal home of believers. But unbelievers will spend eternity in the lake of fire that burns with fire and suffer, according to this verse. Unbelievers are identified as the cowardly, the faithless, the detestables, the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, liars. Cowardly unbelievers fear for various reasons. Some fear that they may lose their positions, their possessions or their jobs or their friends or their comfort, comfortable life if they trust in Jesus, they won't be there. But as Jesus taught, it's worthless to gain the whole world but lose your soul. Mark 8, 20, uh, 36. The faithless won't be there. Won't be there because they didn't trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The detestables as well are fools. All sinners identified are those who are murderers, catered to sexual lusts, lack moral character, practice black magic or deal in illegal drugs and worship false gods and lies. And liar and our liars, those individuals won't be there. These unsavory characters experience the second death, which is eternal suffering in the lake of fire once they're judged because they did not confess their sins and repent of them and accept Jesus Christ and their Lord and Savior. They are condemned to the second death, which is the lake of fire, to burn and be tormented forever. They refuse to put their trust. In Jesus, because those things that I just listed 
as believers, as the Bible said, and some of you were all these things. We're not perfect. Believers are not perfect. That list I just went through, some of all of us can fit in the category of a sin, multiple sins. But for us accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will be condemned as well. The only difference is that we recognize that we are sinners. We were those things. And so we cried out to Jesus, say, I am a murderer. I am a liar. I am a sexual immoral. I am, you fill in the blank, but I know you died for my sins, Jesus, and I accept that free gift of your death for my sins. Cleanse me of my sins, and he shall. That's the only difference. I encourage you, if you have not done so, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have a lot to look forward to. Verse number nine. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. The woman here represents God's city, the New Jerusalem, because it, could, because it is composed of the saints. Verse number 20. Excuse me. Verse number 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So again, the new Jerusalem, many Bible scholars believe, will hover over the new earth. Because we don't see in this description where the, it actually comes down and land on the ground. John saw it come down out of heaven. Then let's move on and talk about verse number 11 out of chapter 21. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a like most rare rare jewel like a jasper clear as crystal this new jerusalem is bright it's beautiful like a rare jewel that shines brilliantly as we're going to see in more detail later one can see that john is struggling to explain what he's seeing because imagine you're seeing something you've never seen before this great holy city he's struggling for words to describe it so he's using words as best as he can that he can relay what he's seeing. If we probably saw it today, even with our, what we think is our vast vocabulary and our knowledge of the Internet and all this stuff, we probably couldn't describe it because we'll be seeing something that we have never even could even begin to experience and explain. But John is being shown it and he's trying to convey it the best way he can, comparing the city to a shiny, beautiful gemstone. He's attempting to describe this beautiful new Jerusalem that he's seeing. Moving on to verse number 12. He had a great high wall. He's describing the city now, the new Jerusalem, with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Verse number 13. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. So God is a God of order. When we look at creation, we can see this. In the New Jerusalem, God placed, we see his order in, the, in New Jerusalem. In the New Jerusalem, he placed 12 gates in an orderly pattern. We see three gates were located on the city's east side, three on the city's north side, three on the city's south side, and three on the western side. Verse 12 informs us that the names of the 12 tribes of Israel 
are inscribed on the gates. When I say the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel, also known as Jacob, has 12 sons. And each out of those 12 sons came to tw what we refer to as the 12 tribes of Israel. And each one of those gates, are, their names of those tribes are written on them. Judah, Benjamin, so forth and so on. Revelation 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we see God giving homage to those he's used in the past, the 12 tribes, the gates. Now we see the city has 14, excuse me, 12 foundations, and the names that were written on them were the 12 original apostles. John, the author of this book that we're reading, their names are inscribed on the foundation, it says this, the descriptions are appropriate because the church is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. That Jesus himself being the cornerstones. In other words, the Christian world as we know it today. Let me rephrase that. We have the word of God today because of these 12 disciples doing the great commission of Jesus told him to do to go out and preach the word to all the world and on that foundation and him being the cornerstone the word he was teaching the word they were teaching was jesus died for your sin he was the chief cornerstone the word of god over two thousand years is now being still still being preached when Jesus arose from the grave he commissioned his apostles to proclaim the gospel worldwide and that's what they did thus the city, this new Jerusalem, there are 12, found, the 12 foundations, a name after them. We're going to take verse 15, 16, and 17 together. And again, we're talking about John describing this glorious city, the new Jerusalem, where all the believers will live during the eternity with God. 15 and 16 and 17, and all these verses are describing what he saw. Verse number 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. Verse 16, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his, with his rod, 1,200, excuse me, 12,000 strata, its length and width and height are equal. Verse 17, he also measured its wall, 144 cubic, by human measurement, which also an angel, angel's measurement. And in NIV it says the angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubit thick. So depending on which translation you read, and I want to put that distinction there because when you look at the NIV, I think the ESV version that I just read, it doesn't mention that it was 140, 144 cubit thick. That's how thick these walls are, which we're going to see what that means in our common day measurement standards the angels the angel who spoke to the apostle paul had a golden notice that it was a golden measuring rod with which to measure the city and its gates and the walls so john can get an idea how big and glorious and fabulous this new jerusalem will be the future home of believers the eternal home of believers god who designed and built the city we know this hebrews eleven ten 10 won't John and us to realize that the city is big enough to accommodate all believers across all periods of history. They don't want to have to worry about being cramped up and want to worry about enough room. He knows how much room it takes to house all of us, and he has done it. He will have done it. 
the angel's measuring rod is not simply a staff like the one mentioned in Revelation 11.1. 1. It's a rod of gold. Everything about New Jerusalem is glorious, including the rod the angel used to measure the city. Then we're given the dimensions of the New Jerusalem. The city lies four squares. So it's a, it's this, the city is in the shape of a square. Its length and its width are equal meaning that the same length, each measuring 12,000 strata, or in our, the U.S. standards, is the equivalent of 1,400 miles. That's how big this city measurements are. Imagine that. That's how big New Jerusalem will be on each side, 1,000 400 miles. That's about the distance from New York City to Dallas, Texas. That's the dimensions of this city. If you can imagine a city square that will extend from in the United States, New York City to the city of Dallas and Texas. That's how big this city will be. Can you imagine that? No, you can't. I can't imagine that. Because there's nothing like on this earth now that even could compare to that. But we, that's what in man's ability, nothing can compare to that. But nothing's impossible for our God. He can build a city and has and will build a city that big. The area of the base is about 1,000, excuse me, 1,960,000 square miles. That's how big this city will be. Huge. Can you imagine a city from New York City, all the way from New York City, down to Houston, Texas, excuse me, Dallas, Texas. That's how big it would be. The angel also measured the wall that surrounds the New Jerusalem. The city wall is 144 cubit thick. That's about 216 feet thick. Thick. That's going to be the thickness of the wall. 216 feet. That is thick, ladies and gentlemen. And then the wall, that's how thick it's going to be. This is going to be a huge, glorious, wonderful city that God has created for his, his saints, his believers. The massive size of these walls not only implies strength, it suggests the enormous scale of the rest of the city. If this wall is going to be this thick, can you imagine what the rest of the city is going to be? It's going to be wonderful. Let's look on as John continued to describe what this city is going to look like. Let's look at verse number 18. The wall was built of jasper where the city was pure gold like clear glass. Verse 11 indicate that jasper is translucent. It may be a crystal like crystal like red because the wall is constructed of this translucent jewel. It will glow like a brilliant color. He mentioned before because and we're going to see during this time in eternity. We won't have the sun and the moon anymore. Jesus and his glory is going to provide the light for New Jerusalem and for the earth. And because of the stones that this city is going to be built like, that the brilliant light of Jesus is going to be bouncing off the, wall, off the walls of this 
beautiful giant city. It's going to be magnificent. And he, he's trying to describe it as best as he can because he's seeing this stuff and, like, it's blowing his mind. And he's trying to describe it in the best way he can. But it's going to be brilliant, a brilliant color that's going to be reflecting the glory, the light of Jesus that's going to be so powerful we don't even need the sun anymore. Think about how bright the sun is. And think about how the glory of Jesus would be, how big and magnificent it would be that it would replace the sun. Just imagine these things in your mind, what we're going to be talking about. John said the city appeared so it appeared to be clear, pure, transparent gold. John, as again, John's words seem to be attempting to describe an indescribable city. And he's trying to use the best terms he can. The point of John's description is this the city glows with brilliant light both dazzling red and shiny gold because God is glorious and the city reflects his glory. This huge, big, wonderful, glorious city. Verse number, we're going to take verses 19 and 20 together because it's going to continue to describe the gems that Paul said they're going to be made out of. Excuse me, that John says they're going to be made out of. Verse number 19, the foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. Verse 20. The fifth, oxen. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, crystallite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, carsopras. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amethyst. So John is describing the various jewels or precious stones that the city will be built out of. As verse 14 points out, New Jerusalem walls, wall has 12 foundations on which are described, inscribed the names of the 12 apostles. apostles. Verse 19 describes these foundations further as adorned with every kind of jewel. The foundations, therefore, are extremely beautiful. This begins the list of Jews that adorn the 12 foundations. Verse 12 lists the stones found on New Jerusalem's wall. Many of these gems were also included in the high priest's breastplate, breastplate that God told them to make in Exodus 28, verses 17 through 21. Now imagine, now imagine this, when the light of the city, which would be the Lord Jesus. Again, we're going to see in verse number 23 that Lord Jesus is going to be the light of the world, truly the light of the world, literally the light of the world. When his light shines through the brilliance of all these stones, how that city is going to light up, how beautiful it's going to be. Moving on to verse number 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. This is the source of the pearly gates cliche that we often hear. But the 12 gates is going to be made of 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So the 12 gates is going to be made of one, a giant pearl. Can you imagine that? Thus the pearly gates. The street of the city will be pure gold. That's what our Heavenly Father has planned for us. This is the city that you can look forward to instead of a lake of fire. You have this brilliant, beautiful city where there's no crime, 
that awaits for you, where there's peace and prosperity that awaits for you as a believer. Moving on to verse number 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. New Jerusalem doesn't need a temple. Because the entire city is the dwelling place of God Almighty and the Lamb because God has chosen to dwell with man. He didn't need a temple anymore. He's going to live with his creature, his saints in the city. Verse number 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb remember the lamb is god neither excuse me jesus neither the moon nor the sun is needed to shine on new jerusalem jesus is the light of the world serves as the city's lamp we won't need the moon anymore we won't need the sun anymore we often forget the sun and the moon particularly the sun just doesn't give us heat is a source of light for the day, and the moon is a sort of source of light for the night. We won't need that anymore because Jesus, when he's dwelling in this new Jerusalem, will be the source of our light. He is the light of the world in John 1, 9 and 8, 12. Verse number 24, by its light will the nations which are saved, in some translation says, walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Moving on to verse number 25 for continuity. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Verse 24 tells us that the light from the eternal city will also be so strong that the nations that are that actually going to be on the new earth will walk in it. In other words, the brightness from Jesus' light will be bouncing off these glorious gems and will be so bright that it will light the nations, those who came out of the new, of the millennium, came out of the seven-year tribulation and out of the millennium, it will be their light on actually the ground of the new earth. Because again, the new Jerusalem will hover over the land of the new earth and will provide light to the inhabitants of the new earth. This also pictures that those who came through the millennium as born again, regenerated believers will and who did not follow Satan after his release after the thousand years will enter into their eternal, will enter into eternity in their fleshly bodies. And according to this verse, they're going to have rulers, kings, presidents, because they're still going to be ordered in, in the world. They're still going to be leaders in the world. They now bring their glory and honor to God in the new Jerusalem, meaning they're coming to praise him. So there's going to be some interaction between them coming from the new earth, being on the ground on the new earth, and coming into the hovering of the city, where they will give praise and glory to God. Verse 25 tells us that the gates of the new Jerusalem will never be shut. The gates being open are a clear reminder that Jesus is the door to heaven. And he does not withdraw his invitation to enter. You can reject the invitation, but the, he has the invitation is always open. And verse also number 25 tells us there will be night. There will be no more night there. There won't be any more night. There won't be a need for a night because God and his glory will shine the whole world. 
We won't need a night. It's only going to be day. The light of the world. Jesus. Moving on to verse number 26 out of chapter 21. They were bringing to it glory and the honor of the nations. Referring back to the leaders of the people that will live on the new earth. Verse number 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written and the Lamb's book of life. So in other words, although New Jerusalem gates are always open, not a single trace of evil can enter the city, nor can there be. Because as explained in the prior verses in the prior chapter, all sin and evil has now been entirely defeated and banished to hell by this point in time. And so even though it makes that statement, don't read it as that, that these individuals are there to even enter into the city. By this time, the second death, the judgment, everything has taken place. Satan has been judged and banished. Evil will not exist in the world at this time. So only people that can come into the New Jerusalem will be the inhabitants that live there, the saints, and those who came and those individuals who came in there came through the seven-year tribulation and the new and it's 1,000-year reign, the millennial reign of God in their fleshly bodies, and they're still in their fleshly body. They would have access to the city because they would be born again and regenerated because they would have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They would have access because there's all along the people that's going to be on the earth, those who accepted the new earth and the new heaven and the new Jerusalem, those who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that concludes chapter 21 so we're winding down this podcast as we only have one more chapter chapter 22 as we continue to look at how glorious a future we have with our lord and savior jesus that's what we're going to look at next time our final chapter chapter 22 of the book of revelation let's pray father god in the mighty name of jesus we just thank you thank you thank you thank you for all just thank you for being god let alone all of you you are preparing for us the city of gold and precious stones and of life eternal and peace and prosperity. No more dying, no more mourning, no more crime, no more selfishness, no more envy, no more lies, no more jealousy. Oh, what a glorious time that you're preparing for us, Father. We love you and we thank you for this time to better study your word and be blessed to know what a glorious eternity that you have planned for us. We thank you. We thank you for this time in Jesus' holy name. Now, if you are listening to this and you have not accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, it's no accident you're listening to this right now. Now is the time for you to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He died for you. And you may have this feeling in your chest and within you saying, I believe Jesus died for my sins. Confess it right now. Now is your time. Don't wait. Tomorrow is not promised. Reserve your place in eternity with Jesus. Put your name in the book of life by confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior that you can be in the New Jerusalem. He is waiting for you. He died for you. Do it right now. If that's you, please play this after me. Say, Father God, I am a sinner. I have rebelled against you. But I confess and believe that you have sent your only begotten son, Jesus to die for my sins. I confess that. I ask you to forgive my sins in Jesus' holy name. Jesus, 
I now accept you as my Lord and my Savior because you died for my sins. Father God, I thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead because he was sinless. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you believe and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a new creature regardless of how you feel. You are a new creature not because I've said it, it's because God in his word said it. You are a new creature in Christ. You are now part of a holy family, heir and joint heir with Jesus. You're now a child of God, a true child of God, child of God. You are saved from his judgment that we've been talking about in the book of Revelation and during that seven-year tribulation. You will be spared that. What a mighty God we sing. You should be happy. You should rejoice. But regardless of how you feel, you are a new creature. You are now saved, part of a royal priesthood. That's you. God has forgiven your sins. He is now your father, Abba, which means daddy. He is now your God, and he will call you his son or daughter, eternal. And the things that we just talked about in this book, they await you. Hallelujah for you. You should be thankful and praising God. Thank you. Hallelujah. Now that you've made that commitment, as I always like to say, now you need to build this relationship with your heavenly father. Pray to him. Prayer is nothing but a communication between you and him. It's not about how you sing. I mean, we often see on TV programs and to be saying and saying prayers in a certain way. Just talk to your heavenly father. He and this talking is more so for you than him. There's nothing you can't tell him that he didn't already know about you. He knew it before you even confessed him. And that's the beauty of it. Despite him knowing all the despicable things we have done and said and thought, he still died for us. That's a that's just wonderful and mind blowing in his of itself. So there's nothing that you can't share with him that he didn't already know. It's for your benefit to know that he knows those things. And despite knowing those things, he still loves you. He still saves you. He's still going to extend his grace to you. He's still going to extend his mercy to you. He's still your father, your heavenly father. So pray to him. Also continue to study his word because that's why you find out who he really is in his word. He gave his word for a reason. The creator of everything has left us his word. We should be reading it. So I can encourage you to read your Bible and listen to podcasts like this where you can develop your understanding of that word, of his word. Also pray about joining a local church. God commands us to fellowship with one another. We're not meant to live this life alone, walk this Christian walk alone. But you should pray because every building that says they're a Christian church don't mean they're indeed a Christian, a Bible-believing, a Bible-teaching, a Jesus-believing, a Jesus-teaching church. And we need to be mindful of that and be led by the Holy Spirit to where we should be going to serve, to worship. So be in prayer about that because salvation is not the end all. We have to develop a relationship with one another, develop a relationship with our Lord and Savior. And how we do those things is by reading his word, by praying, and being in fellowship with one another. So I encourage you to do those things. Until next time, God bless you. Pray for me, and I'll pray for you. Amen.